global law and global business go hand in hand, but never seem to keep pace with each other. Developing and developed nations wax and wane in their importance in the global stage. While consumption and interconnectedness both increase, laws and regulations change incessantly, requiring businesses to stay nimble. How do we make sense of it all? Welcome to Global Law and Business, hosted by Harris Brickens International Business Attorneys. I'm Fred Rockefort. And I'm Jonathan Bench. Every week, we take a targeted look at legal and economic developments in locales around the world as we try to decipher global trends in law and business with the help of international experts. We cover continents, countries, regimes, governance, finance, legal developments, and whatever is trending on Twitter. We cover the important, the seemingly unimportant, the relatively simple, and the complex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Please connect with us via email and social media to comment and suggest future topics and guests. Today, we are delighted to have Alberto Predieri on our podcast. Alberto is an attorney based in Milan, Italy, and he is a true friend of the firm. Alberto, we'd like to begin by having you introduce yourself to our listeners. First of all, thank you for, for having me here. I was born uh, 50 years ago in a small town in, um, in the northern part of Italy called Ivrea. It was known at the time as the headquarter of the Olivetti, uh, the company that first invented uh, a computer. And then I followed my family traveling in Italy. And during my, my, my youth, I lived in Tuscany and then moved to Milan for the last part of my high school and the university. In the meantime, I, I, I practiced uh, sailing, became really addicted to sailing, first as an athlete, um, and I was part of the Olympic sailing team, took part in the trial for the Olympics 1992 in Barcelona, Spain. And then I also became an official uh, president of an Olympic class and vice president of the International Sailing Federation. And then, and then of course, finished the university and started my professional career. And I've been always worked in a boutique firm where I had the opportunity to operate in, in various sectors, make a wide range of expertise, um, and always worked with the partners of the firm. And then I finally became a partner of my own firm. And I'm focusing my activity in, uh, in the corporate and commercial. M&A, real estate. I'm also part of some board of directors, company and foundation. And I'm very proud to serve on pro bono on the Court of Appeal of the International Paralympic Committee. Alberto, thank you for being with us today. We're very excited to hear more about your career, about what's going on in Italy. Um, we certainly would love to start out by hearing your firsthand views of how COVID-19 impacted Milan and Northern Italy during the early days of the pandemic. Um, Italy was at the forefront, uh, you know, with, together with Spain and, and China. Uh, so can you tell us what's happened since and what's the feeling regarding what's coming next? Um, I mean, what, what challenges are there for uh, foreign businesses and, and local uh, Italian businesses, uh, in, you know, in Italy and in Europe generally? I mean, what, what do you see as, uh, as good things happening and what are going to be some things that, that are going to be uh, big issues going forward? Yes, Jonathan. At the in, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, it was it was really really hard here, and especially in Milan, 
the northern Italy and especially in Milan, we kind of felt left alone, like being on a boat in the middle of the sea and having to return to the harbor alone. It was difficult, but you know, after after the the first impact, I think we we managed in in the Italian got together very very tightly and um, we in the firm we were very lucky because we were really really busy in helping our clients with all the matters that came out uh, with the pandemic uh, seeing the, the the positive point of what the pandemic brought to italy and milan in particular was that we have experienced innovations and changes in a few months that otherwise would have taken months if not years I'm talking about innovations in the public and in the private sector, for instance, uh, using much more the online and remote instruments. I mean, now, for instance, in, in court, we are able to deliver everything, uh, almost everything from, from the office. We don't need to go anymore to the court. Even public offices now have switched to face-to-face meeting, to remote meetings. I think that we have been able to review a lot of procedures in general terms and make more 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 efficient i think what we have let's say learned from this pandemic so i think that we have to go keep riding this wave with all the positive things that we have achieved unfortunately these days in these very days the situation with the infections is getting worse again well mainly because you know italians are creative and Many Italians have been creative in the last few months in uh, in doing everything but the right thing, like uh, wearing the mask on their arms or on their throat rather than covering their, their nose and mouths. And so the situation is, is, is again, a, a bit critical, I think. As I listened to your answer, I couldn't help but think about how during the entire course of this podcast, uh, COVID has has been a constant topic. And in fact, it, COVID is probably one of the reasons why we uh, started the podcast in the first place as uh, firms and, and companies looked for for ways to 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 engage with their with their clients and, and their audience uh, and, and, and look for new ways to, to do that. Uh, hopefully before before too long we can we can uh, stop talking about about COVID. I know you you and I talked about this uh, yesterday. You know how it's become this this uh, ever ever present uh, omnipresent topic. But t- turning t- turning back to you now, um, could you tell us a little bit more about your your current practice? Your uh, what what kind of work uh, are are you doing? Um, not just now, although of course we'd we'd like to hear perhaps about. What, how COVID is is changing the the mix of cases that you're handling, but but more generally, uh, we'd like to know what what life looks like for for a, for a lawyer in Milan. Maybe maybe you can tell us about uh, what what a typical day looks like for you. Well, Milan is known as one of the more um, efficient, more active cities in Italy. Not that the others are not, but the, the financial sector and. It's, it's it's very it's very big here so the milanese are always referred to as people that start very early in the morning this is what we do in the office i come to the office at 7 30 in the morning and uh, and for a long day which is what normally 
hence around eight, nine o'clock in the evening. This is the typical day we, we me and many other colleagues in Milan are having. As I'm not really a court lawyer, I do some litigation, but it's a small part of my activity. I usually stay in the office or when it was possible, visiting clients and having meetings. You know, as a corporate and commercial lawyer, I mainly deal with uh, contract negotiation, uh, contract drafting, um, and, and the various sectors like um, advertising, real estate, typical commercial agency, procurement, you know, many, many different type of contracts. I think that one part of my previous activity that has been really, really important formation was uh, the, the activity that I referred very quickly before and was in the sports sector when I, I was an official of international uh, organization and it really helped me in widening my perspective, my network, my cultural approach and when I deal especially with foreign clients I think that my connect with them not all of them of course because I don't know all the cultures in the world but at least I learn the perspective that others people are different from Italians are, are seeing. You know, I always thought that it was a strange the way the Italians are looking at the world. We have been always very much Italy-centric or Europe-centric, if I may. You think about the map of the world, it always pictures the globe with Europe at the center, America on the left and Asia on the right. And I think that that many times drives us, professionals, uh, individuals, to think about that the center of the world is Europe. It was Europe. Working with, with other countries is so very important because we came to learn different perspective, different way to see, even a, a way of dealing uh, with lawyers, and of course with clients so that is a small overview absolutely and and as lawyers of course uh, we're very curious how the practice of law in italy is different from uh, the united states and other common law jurisdictions you are a transactional lawyer uh, much like i am so i'm very curious as to how your how your practice is molded by um, you know kind of by the business environment that you're in uh, you know, you in Italy interacting with other European countries and, and others around the world. What's a um, very curious what your what your typical transactions are like, and um, and whether and even whether um, you know you you see COVID as an opportunity to, as you said, you're doing more uh, domestic work online. Has this made your uh, your potential clientele open up to more of the world as well as we've all uh, been working from home on our computers? The difference I, I see from um, when I compare common law jurisdictions and, the, and, and civil law jurisdictions like mine uh, is that we, with the codes and the laws, everything codified, it's easy for us to make reference, for instance, in a contract to a, an article, and that, that is the you automatically uh, draw into the contract the content of the provisions. 
the common law countries, you don't do that. And then if you write a contract, as far as I, I know, you have to detail all the, the provisions that you want. That is, a, I think, is a, it gives you a different uh, approach when you're dealing with a, with a contract, for instance. But when I'm confronted with, with uh, jurisdictions and way of doing our profession, uh, for instance, in, in, in the U.S., I, I always felt that there was a much modern and, uh, let's say, fresh approach to the profession. Something that, that in Italy, for instance, making a couple of examples to explain what I mean. For instance, in Italy, a lawyer is prohibited to disclose the name of the client, even with the consent of the client. In a world where communication is essential, in a world where we confront with professionals coming from different uh, jurisdictions and we see that they are doing something different, it seems really awkward that a, a lawyer here in Italy cannot even communicate, make a, a press release saying that he has assisted the client in a specific deal. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about lifting the, the confidentiality that the lawyers must have. No, not at all. I'm simply saying that, that the, the, the way we are sometimes uh, forced to do our profession, it seems to be like an, an old style. Another, another way, another difference that, that we experience many times is when we talk about fees. For instance, we in Italy, we, even if the client agrees, we cannot make any agreements on sharing the outcome of the activities that we carry out from the client. So I'm, I'm making these two examples just to say that sometimes I think that the I envy the, the, the freshness, the modernity of the profession, uh, like it is conducted in, in, for instance, in, in the U.S. Alberto, that certainly resonates with some of what I've experienced. For some time, I was working as a foreign legal expert at a, at a law firm in Shanghai. And that contrast between the uh, especially the American approach and the, the the Chinese approach, which in some ways resembles that of of a of a civil law jurisdiction, uh, was was rather striking. And, and and part of what what struck me was was precisely what what you're describing. Um, I, I found that some of my colleagues had a, as you put it, a bit of an old style view of um, of of what lawyering entailed, which is rather interesting. Keeping in, in mind that um, the, the modern Chinese legal profession is, is is rather new, but in many ways they they've adopted a, a an approach that is that is not that that fresh, frankly, and and often stands in marked contrast to what's happening in other industries in China that are that are you know that are at the cutting edge uh, of their of their own uh, worlds. So I think one big difference uh, as well, or, or, or one thing that characterizes law in Europe uh, is, is precisely Europe as a, as a, as a political entity. Um, in addition to, to national laws, we know that there's quite a bit of, of European legislation. And I think it's fair to say that that has grown over time. I, well, it was probably... Well, a long time ago, let's just say I, I studied abroad in, in England and took a course on on European Union law. I think in in, in those intervening 
whatever, 15 <laughs> years, the influence of, of, of European legislation is, is, has probably grown considerably. So could, could you please tell us about this? Um, you know, what is the, the practical impact of, of European uh, laws and regulations on, on the daily practice of, of a lawyer in a, in a country like Italy? And would you say that this impact is consistent um, across different practice areas, or perhaps uh, they are of more relevance to to some lawyers uh, than as opposed to others. I think that the, as you mentioned, the European Union being a political entity and has taken over more and more the role of especially the legislator. You know, the European Union basically works. Uh, with two types of, uh, well, instruments, the directive and the regulations. The directive is an instrument that shows the objective, uh, the goal uh, of the European Union, and each state has to adopt its own instrument, like law decrees, to achieve that goal. Regulation is different because regulation is an instrument of the European Union that binds immediately the member state without basically any need of the member to do anything. So it's a kind of a external um, intervention in the state. Uh, in, in our practice, specifically corporate and commercial, um, we have seen and we, we see more direct than regulation. And in both cases, the, the, the impact exists. I would say that with the directives, the impact is felt a little more diluted because, after all, it is a, a procedure that requires an Italian law. So at least it's seen as an intervention of the Italian legislator uh, based on the goal set by the European Union. And the second case, the impact is, is immediate and is, uh, so to speak, much stronger than, than the directive. Just to give you an example, it is a very well known worldwide at the moment, the regulations that the famous GDPR on data protection. Think about that regulation, the imposed an abrogation of 120 articles of the 180 article of the existing laws in Italy. So the impact, as you can imagine, is, is huge, it's big. And I would say, as far as I'm concerned, it is quite consistent in many, many sectors. Maybe there are some like health, transport that are much affected, much more affected than others. But as we see uh, and we experience, the European Union almost regulates in, uh, in every sector of our practice. Alberto, we came to know you because of your cooperation with a Hong Kong law firm. We'd love to hear about the kind of work you're doing involving Asia and in particular China, which are, of course, areas of great interest to our firm and many of our listeners. Yes, indeed. I think that we met Frederick last year in, in Seattle when we came with the, the Hong Kong firm, uh, the Berlin and Lee, which would carry the name. And we joined them last July after having cooperated with them for a few years, mainly on inbound matters, so from Hong Kong to Italy. 
And with that joining the uh, Hong Kong firm, we became the very first Italian firm joining an Hong Kong firm. Uh, and, and that made really us very, very, very proud. We have the chance with this joining the Hong Kong firm to make really a step forward on a more international practice, but not only in the practices itself, I would say we have always had cross-border transactions and foreign client, but I mean more in the soul and as well in the skin, you know, on the outside, you know, with a new name. And we, we actually did this with Claudio De Bellino, who's the founding partner of the Hong Kong firm. Here in Italy, it's very, it's, uh, I would uh, refer to him as a, a very you know, prominent uh, kind of a legend here in Italy, because when you talk to entrepreneurs and clients and professionals who have had or have deals and, and with Hong Kong and China, Claudio always comes up into the picture. So it's, it's very known. We, uh, we, we, with him, we, we are learning, we learn and we are, of course, learning practice, the attitude, the, the market, the Chinese and Hong Kong market. When our work involving Hong Kong and China, they are all centered on the, on the firm in Hong Kong. They assist, you know, the clients whenever there is a Chinese or an Hong Kong matters. So all our inbound works is, is, is carried out by them because they are the expert. They know how to do it. And everything that is inbound is uh, is mainly Chinese clients, Hong Kong clients that have business in Italy. And uh, so it is even easier for the Hong Kong firm to immediately uh, have contact. We know they know how we work. We know how they work. And so it's, it's very easy, uh, very practical uh, to, you know, give our assistance. We do work with our with other you know Asian country, mainly I would say Japan, Philippines, and uh, and India. And as I said before, our work is is usually focused on on, on corporate and commercial matters, and a broad range of sectors. Uh, I would say uh, from from fashions to manufacturing, from uh, um, real estate to sports. I'd like to take advantage of this opportunity to to say hello to Claudio. He's recovering from from surgery, um, so so if he if he gets a chance to to listen to the to this podcast, I, I definitely want to um, wish him uh, a speedy recovery, as well as uh, say hello to all of our all of our other friends at um, the Bedina Lee in in, in Hong Kong. Um, uh, Alberto, there's a very important question that I that I should ask you. Um, before before we put an end to the to this uh, podcast, are you an AC Milan or Inter guy? Well, neither of them, because my my team is Juventus, so it's uh, what, what they call the old lady here. There is a very uh, usually a very you know big fight between Juventus and both of the teams in Milan. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, having having had the opportunity to to travel um, extensively uh, throughout Italy, which which I have absolutely loved, um, one of the more interesting constants is is how even in very remote corners of Italy, or I shouldn't say remote corners, but all, all across the country, right? Um, Juventus has that 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 appeal, right? I mean, it's it's of course a team from from the north, from from Turin, but 
um, you know, you can be, you can be in Sicily, you can be in, um, Naples and they're, they're, well, maybe, I don't know about Naples, maybe, maybe, maybe Naples, not so much, right. They have their own strong team, but, um, but certainly a lot of fans spread out across the country. You know, when we find supporters of Juventus in city like Naples or Florence, we call them heroes because it's very difficult to be a supporter of Juventus in those cities. Well, it looks like we have the topic for our next uh, podcast with you uh, lined up, uh, Calcio and, and and Law. I don't know. We can we can maybe we can maybe find a way to um, uh, incorporate that. We actually assist one of the Italian team in Serie A, so we happen to know a bit about about the, the football sector. Definitely, we must we must do that. I I have a as a matter of fact. I mean, in, in all seriousness, I. Had quite a bit of experience working with um, when I was in Hong Kong. Actually, I, I, I represented a, a couple of English teams, um, so I think we could actually have a, a pretty, pretty interesting um, the discussion about that. Um, Alberto, one thing, um, the, you know, um, another thing that we, we'd like to do before before we let you go is ask you if you could make any recommendations for. Um, for our listeners, uh, something you've read recently, perhaps uh, something you've, you've watched on TV or Netflix, um, anything that that helps uh, our listeners gain a, an understanding um, of, of what's informing you. Yeah, recently, I mean, I've seen um, one TV series was really catching for me, and his name is called Fowler. Um, they said in Israel, and it's, it's telling stories about the secret service in uh, in Israel and in their daily operation. And it was it was really really catching, you know, watching one episode after the other and, until very late at night. And another and a lecture, and I have recently had a book from uh, a Portuguese writer named Domingos Amaral telling the stories about the, the time during the, the Second World War, uh, about Lisbon, and it's very, it's very attractive. And the title of the book is When Salazar Was Sleeping. Uh, I'm actually not sure that it's translating into English, but it's, it's a very fascinating book. Alberto, I have to wholeheartedly concur with your recommendation. And in fact, it's our first ever, I think, uh, double recommendation. I actually recommended Fauda a few weeks ago when we had a, a guest from Israel on the on the podcast. I, I I completely agree. I think it's 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 some of the best TV that I've that I've ever ever seen. I, I think for people who who, who like action um, series, it's it's um, it, it'll in my in my, in my uh, opinion, it, it really takes that uh, genre to a, to a new to a new level, right? It's it's just a, I mean, literally, yeah. After 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 the final episode of the last um, season, I mean, you you really felt physically punched, right? It, it's it's a fantastic series, um, and I'll definitely keep an eye out for the um, for the book you recommended. Interesting story, right, about Portugal and, and how they were uh, neutral during the during the war. Um, living in, in Hong Kong, I had the opportunity to go to Macau many times, and, and during World War II, Macau was still a, a Portuguese colony, and 
that neutrality played played a, a role, an important role in the history of the region. So it's a topic that that, that is of interest. Um, Jonathan, what about you? I picked something with a bit of a European flavor uh, since we were having Alberto on. And this is an article from Daily Mail. And I know I always read Daily Mail articles with kind of one eyebrow raised. Um, but I'm on a national security listserv. And uh, very serious national security professionals uh, recommend articles on Daily Mail from time to time. And it's this kind of thing. So this article is called Greece Sets Up Soundwave Guns on Its Borders with Turkey to Stop Illegal Migrants. And uh, I thought this was interesting because uh, it reminded me of the uh, similar kind of issues with these um, sonic uh, sonic weapons, you know, with um, U.S. Embassy in Havana, Cuba back in 2016, 2017, and then in uh, U.S. Embassy in, in Guangzhou in 2018. And so I think, um, you know, I, the idea that we're using – um, you know, these kinds of sonic weapons against humans is, is concerning to me as a human, right? I mean, they're, you know, we're not, we're not military, we're, um, you know, countries need to protect their borders, but at the same time, you know, there are basic human rights questions that come up. And so this, I, I see this as one additional piece of the overall consideration on how we, um, how we take it upon ourselves to care for our neighbors uh, and whoever we consider our neighbor, right? So, um, interesting article, not a long article, but uh, it does raise those kinds of questions for me uh, as part of an ongoing dialogue within my my own brain about about these kinds of issues, and certainly is is important to the uh, European migration um, crisis that continues to to unroll. Oh, what about you, Fred? Well, first of all, there's nothing wrong with reading the Daily Mail. Um, as much as I chide my mom for, for doing it, I, I do find their articles useful. Um, but my recommendation today is from the Apple Daily. And just as a by way of background, Apple Daily is a newspaper out of Hong Kong. It's, its founder, Jimmy Lai, is a bit of a controversial figure. He's become much more of a controversial figure recently. He was arrested by the by the authorities for for violating the the new national security law. To be honest, I don't remember if he was specifically uh, arrested for for violating the new law, but in any case, he he got in trouble with the law. He's an outspoken uh, supporter of democracy in Hong Kong and and was in fact born in mainland China. But um, as much as Apple Daily and Jimmy Lai have been in the news recently. Um, I think, by and large, most people haven't had a chance to to read anything published in the Apple Daily, and, and a lot of what they publish is perhaps a little too local in flavor. But I, I came across uh, an editorial recently that that I thought was was very interesting. It's a quick, relatively easy read that talks about China more broadly. It's it's not strictly about Hong Kong issues. So I think it's a it's, it's both an interesting editorial and also a perfect introduction to, to the kind of material that Apple Daily puts out. So um, the title of the editorial is Return to the Caves of Shanganing Border. And we'll, we'll post uh, a link, so don't worry too much about the spelling there. It's basically alluding to the, the, the caves in, in Western China, where the the Communist Party leadership hit out and uh, during during World War II and, and the long struggle against the uh, the nationalist government. So um, take take a look at that. 
On that note, um, Alberto, I'd like to once again thank you for for coming on the podcast. Next time you are in Seattle, we'll we'll definitely have to take you down to Lake Union and uh, get a sailboat for you to take us around the lake. I'm a I'm an aspiring sailor myself. I would much rather <laughs> have you uh, in control of the vessel. So I definitely look look forward to that. We'll do with pleasure. And I thank you guys for having me on this podcast. It was really an honor. Thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We look forward to connecting with you on social media to continue discussing developments in global law and business. And tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then. Thank you.